it really no longer surprises me why some people walk away from the church. Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. And I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast where we have uncut, honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Uh, Cameron, you and I sat down a few minutes ago talking about what are we going to talk about on today's episode of the podcast. And we've covered a lot of really, I don't know, we've covered a lot of ground over the course of the podcast. But one of the things that we have kind of like circled around and talked about a couple of different times is this idea of like deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been a growing topic in uh, Christian circles. And um, we were just kind of talking, we were looking at a social media account that was kind of recounting some, uh, some pretty awful things that were said and done in the name of Christ and Christian teaching. And well, at least in the environment where it should have been in Christ centered, right? right? Not in like, yeah. yeah, they weren't explicitly like the crusades. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's a topic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we just kind of were like, yeah. Well, we've been, yeah, like you said, we've been talking um, kind of, we, we've named it a lot and we've had, I think we've mm-hmm. had whole episodes on deconstruction. Um, but it's been kind of central to my mind a lot lately. As I'm considering, I'm still considering, <laughs> considering whether or not to write, do some writing and essentially write a book on not necessarily, well, yeah, on the topic of deconstruction, but also on on the topic of reconstruction mm-hmm. and how in the midst of a faith that gets kind of deconstructed for whatever reason it does, is there a way to reconstruct it and how can we reconstruct it? Um, and should we reconstruct it? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I've been following a lot of, I, I don't know if like I came upon this account because I've been following and engaging probably with a lot of a <laughs> Instagram lot of, probably thinks you're going through a th- faith crisis right now. It, it probably does. And I, I will say to our, our viewers, I'm not going through a faith crisis. I'm not, I'm not deconstructing in any classical sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just really, really interested in the phenomena of deconstruction and, um, and how, we can have, I think it's really important to have both a pastoral response mm-hmm. that understands the reasons for a person's deconstructing their faith. Yeah. And sometimes that leads to them walking away from the church. Doesn't always. Right. Um, so having a pastoral response that allows us to understand the reasons or at least empathize with their pain but then also having a theological response, a fairly grounded theological response um, that maybe communicates a more clear um, perspective than the really usually non-nuanced perspective that people are walking away from. Mm-hmm. 
think what you see theologically a lot of times is that people walk away um, or they reject outright reject things that are communicated or made made to seem seem to be black or white, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. When if we take an honest view at the context of the scripture and sometimes not just the context but the actual content that not everything is as black and white as many preachers parents administrators teachers yeah want it to be because we all want to believe that our particular way of thinking of believing of processing this theological issue or whatever mm-hmm. is obviously the only way to believe it. It's yeah. the only right way. Mm-hmm. And it's not always necessarily true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a thing that you, most pastors, I don't know. I don't hear a whole lot of pastors talk about that. Yeah. You know, it, as you say that, I'm reminded of something of one one of my professors said, and it took me a long time to actually understand what he was saying. Because I grew, like, I remember growing up, I grew up going to Christian school and going to church and stuff, and there was a whole lot of, you know, um, well, like, postmodernism, like, the church was like, do you remember when this this church was scared of Mm postmodernism? Like, and that was like what, like... Every sermon was like, well, the postmodernists, right? And so that was kind of the cultural moment. Um, and uh, growing up, kind of like talking about worldviews. Do you have a Christian worldview? And I had a professor who challenged that when, uh, and he just, he very much liked to say, he's like, there's no, su- no one can have a worldview. He's like, because you can't see that well. And so his whole contention was like, sure, think, you know, he's like, your goal should be to see the world as Christ or to see the world around you as Christ. But the, the idea that you can potentially like construct a thought system or like a philosophy, philosophy and all of your ducks in a row so that you can see the entire world with accuracy through your singular lens, he said was hubris. Mm. That was his contention. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Like, is that kind of in line with what you're talking about? Or? It is. It is. But it's really, it's so, but, but it's true when it, when it feels separated from my own personal beliefs. Like, cause I would say, obviously the reason that I hold my beliefs is because I think that they're true. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it would be, I think it's also a little bit of hubris, but maybe, maybe hubris is the wrong word, but I think it's also a little disingenuous to walk around and say, no, I, I, I do firmly believe these things, mm-hmm. but I could be wrong. Because I don't think that I'm wrong. I think that I'm right. Right. Otherwise, I wouldn't have chosen these. Otherwise, I wouldn't have chosen them. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't believe them. There Mm -hmm. is a perspective upon which I carry my beliefs. But I'm also, I feel like the goal in belief 
should be to be clear about what, at least in your mind, is non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Um, and to also be clear about where there is not always a lot of clarity or theological or academic agreement on things. Yeah. Um, and and to kind of hold those hold those things maybe a little bit more loosely than we've been willing to hold them before. Mm-hmm. I think one of the issues that the church faces is this this extraordinary fear of being wrong. Yeah. This really extraordinary fear of not uh, of not having the authoritative word. Mm-hmm. Um, because a a common principle has been that the word of God is authoritative. Mm-hmm. Right. And I agree. Right. I think I think that it does have authority. Yeah. All right. Um but I think it's less I think that the word of God is less black and white than the church has made it to be. Mm-hmm. Um because it has made it black and white in terms of um like it's the quality of its information mm-hmm. but divorced it from so much of its context that the black and whiteness turns into like it's just not that simple all the time yeah um like what's a topic that we could talk about like um uh, i guess the first one that came up to mind would be like um, divorce. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about divorce in the Bible. What does the Bible take? Take a take a um, mainline evangelical perspective on the biblical view of divorce, and and you tell me when is when when is God okay with someone getting divorced in matters of sexual infidelity? Right, and that's it. Right. And it's and it's Matthew 19. Right. And it's black and white. Yeah. Right. There is no nuance. Mm-hmm. There is no um there's no understanding of context there. Mm-hmm. There's no understanding of like marriage in the ancient Near East. Mm-hmm. Um and so you the 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 classic anti-example of that in modern day church and evangelicalism would be to say, okay, so let's say you have a one spouse mm-hmm. who is who is routinely physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. and verbally abusing the other, mm-hmm. but remaining sexually um like not not committing adultery. Right. They're not in this in like in the sexual realm. Yeah. Sorry about your luck, dude. We know you're getting beat up every night. We know that he, like he or she um, is emotionally abusive to you, Mm -hmm. but he hasn't cheated on you. So if you leave him, you're the center, you're living in sin. You need Mm -hmm. to stay faithful. You need to pray. Um, You need to persevere through this. Mm Mm-hmm. God is using this to test your faithfulness right. to the marriage covenant. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's stuff like 
that yeah. as an example mm-hmm. that creates such a dysregulation in people mm-hmm. about what the Bible, how the Bible functions in the Christian faith and how it doesn't. Yeah. That it, the, the last phrase that we talked about before we pressed record yeah. was this. I said, it's no, it does, it really no longer surprises me mm-hmm. why some people walk away from the church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do you put, do you make any, is, how do you kind of categorically separate? Cause like, okay, the teaching, like Christ's teaching on divorce, and then like it that uh the refusal to see the like kind of the principle, the operating principle, the the values under which like Christ seems to be making that claim and all of that, like seeing that, that broader where we were talking about those two examples. Like we were talking about what Nephilim <laughs> and uh the Mark of Cain. Mm-hmm. Where do those, like those negative, awful interpretations of scripture, are those categorically different in some way? Like, um, so for I, yeah. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. So, like, for reference for people who are listening, yeah. right, about those things, we were talking about some examples of things that we've seen on Instagram, you know, of... I've met people who thought that. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> so apparently, I, I, had, I, had never, I had never met or even encountered this belief before, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. But essentially, there is a some stream of Christian teaching out there that teaches that the Nephilim, mm-hmm. which is a Old Testament, uh, an old it's about two, one verse long, about one verse long story of Noah, right? That the Nephilim are a um, essentially a angelic slash demonic. They're a spiritual being, being that comes down and sleeps with the daughters of men. Mm-hmm. I think is the exact line or yes. whatever. So they they interbreed with human humanity. Yeah. And the offspring of that interbreeding. Could, could you find the verse at least so oh, that yeah. we can give reference sure. to people? I'll find it. <laughs> um, so um and that the offspring of those um that the offspring of those people are themselves Nephilim or are just a are a uh, inbred like half fallen angel, half human person. Let's see. Hmm. Okay, so this is the ESV Genesis chapter 6. It says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, 
and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So, the way I read verse 4 there is it seems that the Nephilim were the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of man. And the Nephilim is a explanation for the mighty men of old, the men of renown. So, it's four verses. We've seen people build full theological systems and beliefs off of that. Yes. Say, well, the Nephilim still exist. Right. You know, the interbreeding still exists. Mm -hmm. And that one example that we saw is that people on earth now with mental or physical disabilities are the Nephilim. Yeah. That was one person's. One person's. Not what we agree with. Not what we agree with. By any means, the other the other example that I've personally encountered was um, there's a it's an old teaching it's it's a racist teaching um, that the mark of Cain when Cain is set away because he had killed Abel and the Lord you know Cain's like well I will be killed out there and the Lord's like no like I'll put a mark on you and then sends him away and the teaching that some people prop you know uh taught and not the, i can't think of the right word but uh, I, I know the, i know the word it's called racist <laughs> racist yeah um was that the mark of cain is anyone of a darker complexion or someone who's african american blackness was result of the mark of cain which is just Awful Bible teaching. It's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, no, not even close. Yeah. So, so we have really, really, really extraordinary pronouncements off of virtually nothing yes. in the scripture. So I, I would say, like, how do we categorize the divorce stuff with, mm-hmm. like, Nephilim and the Mark of Cain? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we, like... I would say a few things. One is that I think part of what happens um, is that they people will take a very small piece of scripture mm-hmm. and create an extraordinary theological system off of it. Yeah. Okay. So they'll take something very small, virtually insignificant within the text. And they will blow it out up to here. And all of the blowing out will be like inference, conjecture, um, like hermeneutic gymnastics. Seems to me. Right. Seems to me that, well, this must mean then it e- this equals that type of teaching. Um, and that there you can't really step down on anything that you would say is a foundational biblical truth that you, that exists within the whole counsel of God. Mm -hmm. It's perforary to um, really everything that is, that the church has believed. Yeah. It's almost, it almost exists in like this Gnostic environment of special revelation. Yeah. Or, or special knowledge. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I feel that. Yeah. So, 
I would say that the difference between those types of beliefs mm-hmm. and like a belief about divorce that we just talked about mm-hmm. is that there is a half truth to the belief on divorce mm-hmm. or to the system that's built around divorce. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. You know, that there is, that it is well established that scripture um, does in fact say, right, that that the the main justification for divorce is infidelity. Right. And that you shouldn't, that like divorce is contrary to God's intention for marriage. Correct. Right. Biblical truth clearly taught. Yes. Um, I think that the, why then that becomes, um, uh, not that belief in particular becomes troublesome, but, mm-hmm. but, but the, the conversation around it is, um, that there that that there is then a kind of a reason to jump off of that what is true mm-hmm. but to springboard off of what is true to conjecture mm-hmm. and so you base your starting point for your beliefs now mm-hmm. off of something that is true right but the conjecture that it leads to is stretching the text a little bit further than it should be stretched itself mm-hmm. right yeah whereas like well what would be the what would be the truth that you would stand on in the mark of cain well virtually nothing right that it says there was a mark that says there was a mark nothing about skin color nothing about the continued mark of cain upon the up, upon humanity right you know like um no set of nuances in like right. believing that. Well, Jesus was probably more dark skinned than he was light skinned. Mm-hmm. He was from the Middle East, right? You know, yeah. so, um, uh, so I, I would say the difference there is that um, the 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 jumping off point of the conjecture, mm-hmm. how much truth exists within the system of belief that could be rooted in what I would consider to just be classic Christian belief or even Judeo-Christian belief. Right. Um, and so that there, there are things that are, I would say, closer to core belief than others. Yeah. Like I would say the thing about divorce is closer to core belief mm-hmm. than the idea that anyone who is physically or mentally disabled is a... Um, Somehow... Is a Nephilim. Yeah. Which actually, now that we read the text, makes absolutely no zero sense. sense. I, I think that text would make a better better justification for the existence of like Amazonians, right? Uh, like that mythological idea yeah. of like superhumans and stuff yeah. like that. But which, and honestly, it just makes me freaking angry. Mm-hmm. It just makes me so angry uh, because we have people out here who are actually proposing these as legitimate biblical ideas. Um, and <laughs> there's the biggest bug. I know. I, I saw it all out over there. Oh my and gosh. I was like, I'm not going to distract Cameron. Yeah. But Too late. Holy cow. That is uh. a Nephilim right there. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where I am anymore. Um. Um, there are people out there who would propose these ideas as legitimate and foundational beliefs and teach them to others as truth. Yep. And 
a return back to my foundational statement. It's no wonder people are like, I'm leaving the church. Like, this is mm-hmm. crazy. Because it is. People like that are crazy. Yeah. You know? What would you say, let's let's imagine, what would you say to the criticism of like, well, Cameron, you're, you're taking the Bible and the simplicity of it and the clarity of it, and you are making it complicated. Like, you should just, like, Jesus says that only in matters of divorce or only in matters of sexual infidelity, you are making the passage complicated. Like, you are, like, what would you say to that? Like, I would say that it's natural to take a 21st century perspective on the nature of the scripture and to use it only according to our perspective. And that perspective is in the 21st century is that we read books to gather information. Mm-hmm. So we take a book and we make, we can make a bullet point list of the information that it seeks to communicate and that that commu- that information then is, um, there's there's no nuance even in the in in the information. It is a rule book. It is an ethical and moral handbook, right? And we hear people in evangelicalism talk about the Bible like this all the time. Is that you know what is the acronym for the Bible? Basic instructions before leaving Earth. Like, okay, Aunt Karen, I get it. Um, <laughs> I don't have an Aunt Karen, uh, but but when. Like the Bible was never written, nor did the earliest believers or Christians use it as a way to say, okay, let us use this as a moral, ethical, religious religious handbook of things to do yeah. and not to do, mm-hmm. to believe and not to believe. Um, these were stories of real people in a real context and time. With a real like, and with real environmental context around them, right? And so, you could say, for instance, like even Jesus himself was not willing to say, "Let me just be really clear about what I'm saying. Let me just be really clear about what Mm -hmm. I mean here." In fact, he was he was intentionally vague. And hidden in some yeah. things. Right. I'm going to speak in parables mm-hmm. so that those who hear don't actually hear, right? right. That those who see can actually see, mm-hmm. right? Um, so he was intentionally vague. What do we do? We pull out the meaning from those parables. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, we can be fairly confident in the the spiritual principles that they are teaching. Yep. If we're honest with ourselves... We're not going to speak intention. We're not going to speak intent into the things that Jesus said beyond what is perfectly clear. Yeah. Right? We're not going to say, this is obviously what Jesus meant. Meant. Jesus obviously meant that if you're being physically abused, you still must stay in your marriage. Mm -hmm. He's obvious because if he... If he... If he was... um, He would have said... He would have said it Mm -hmm. if he meant it another way or 
we could back up a little bit, understanding the heart of God, right. the justice of God, the protection of the oppressed, the mm-hmm. protection of the widow, right. right? The protection of like um, uh, those who are least last and least loved, right? Yep. Right. The 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 seeming provi- the the provision that seems to be made pragmatically because of the sin in the world and the sin in marriage relationships, mm-hmm. like that's the principle there. He's like. Yeah. Like the intentions, no. Like right. you guys should stay married. Like that's the intention for marriage. Mm-hmm. But because you are sinners, yes, yeah. Like there needs to be a way for this to be absolved. Yeah. So what I would say is like, if someone were to ask me the question, well, why aren't you just believing the clarity of the scripture? Because mm-hmm. I would say the script because the scripture is not clear on all things. Mm-hmm. It is clear on some things. Right. We are saved by grace through faith through Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Not of our own, so that no one can boast. Right. It's clear about stuff like that. Yeah. It's very clear. But on stuff that it's not clear about, it's not clear about, and we shouldn't propose to make it clear, and then impose those those seemingly clear beliefs onto others mm-hmm. as if you must believe this in order to maintain a positive spiritual trajectory. Yeah. Just don't believe that because even like I said, Jesus himself was not endeavoring to be hundred percent clear or comprehensive in everything that he said. He spoke in parables for a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you, like you've been looking at a lot of this deconstruction stuff and like, do you think, like, well, I, I guess I've got my own experiences here, but do you think that a lack of nuance in church teaching is one of the big reasons why people are, like, deconstructing? Mm. Yes, I do. Although, that's not, it's not a real, that's not even a really clear statement. Mm-hmm. You know, so what? Like, what do we mean by a lack of nuance? Yeah, um, I think I, I generally agree with that. Sure, but, I, but I'm not. Yeah, what is what is nuance? Yeah, mean? yeah. What am I getting at there? Right, like it's. I, I know what you're getting at. Yeah, but I don't know that the question adequately represents mm-hmm. the what's actually going on. Yeah, there. Um, I don't. I I would say it would. Not not even the lack of nuance, but it would be the freedom to explore the nuance yeah. of scripture mm-hmm. that often turns people clearly away. Yeah. Um, what I'm discovering in what I'm discovering in my like research for this book is that there are some pretty pretty consistent theological themes that come up. In people's reasons for deconstructing. Yeah. And so <clears throat> kind of tracing the history of theological teaching around those themes is really interesting. Hmm. To think like, okay, how has the church throughout time taught this theological principle or engaged with this topic? Two of the probably two of the most significant ones that I've seen, well, three really is one is around issues of sexual ethics. Yep. What is the nature of human sexuality? What is the intent of human sexuality? What are the boundaries for human sexuality? Probably the 
from a contemporary perspective, the most, um, the biggest one. Um, so that you can't talk about deconstruction and the history of theological belief without looking at those things. The mm-hmm. second one um, that I'm seeing a lot of is um, uh, questions around eternal punishment, yeah, and hell, mm-hmm. and um, and and the supposed the supposed um, mainline evangelical teaching that. God loves you so much that he that he will make you burn eternally if you don't choose to love him back. Now that's the way that it's being phrased from those who have actively deconstructed that belief, right? Yeah. right? Now is that a nuanced even like communication of what is actually being taught? No, I think it's a caricature. Yeah. I think it's an overblown simplification of probably what was communicated. Do have people communicated it like that? Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. I've, I've heard it. Yeah. You know? Um, and then the thing that, the thing that kind of undergirds those two mm-hmm. is the, the, the um, nature of scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the Bible is an extraordinarily um, provocative and controversial topic for, not just non-Christians, but Christians as well. Yeah. In terms of its authority, its development, mm-hmm. the historicity of its like how it was how how we how we got to have this thing as it is to us right now. Mm-hmm. Um and not only is it not only is it provocative and controversial, um there it is like we're fairly illiterate on how we got here. Yes. Yeah. The majority of the church is fairly illiterate. Mm-hmm. We've just been told this is the word of God. He downloaded it into someone's brain and told them to write it all out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's the thing that a lot of people, even uh, it was even a like a, a source of, I, w- I don't want to say like full blown deconstruction, but some deconstruction for people who went to Bible college mm. is they show up. And, you know, we've got, like, you know, your introductory, Mm -hmm. like, I think intro to Bible was one of the freshman classes that everybody at my school took. Mm. And we're learning, you know, how did the Bible become the Bible? How did it, like, how did it get formed? How did all the letters that Paul wrote and these poems, like, all end up in one volume? Mm -hmm. And... um how was it translated and all of that. And, um, can it be trusted? Yeah. And people who were at Bible college learning about the Bible become so scared and terrified and like confused because what they're learning is at Bible college. That's like preparing them for ministry is different than what they were taught in church. Mm-hmm. They were like, why didn't my youth group leader, like, he just said, like, you know, God just gave us this, like, he, like, that simplicity, like, God just downloaded this book. It was, like, I didn't know that, like, 
there were like I didn't I didn't know that you know we had copies and that you know all that whole like and all of that seems really scary because it's more complex than the simple mm-hmm. like Sunday school answer that they were given. Yep. And now fortunately they were they they were in a context of faith, but some people encounter those ideas when they go away to like college, secular college, and then they begin to learn. They're like, oh, and they like hear the um. Was it wh- what was the council that uh, Dan Brown, uh, Nicaea, Nicaea mm-hmm. right? That whole idea that like um, they hear some version of like the cre- the the creation of Jesus as a legend and um, a bunch of white guys in a room deciding what the Bible is going to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, you know. Um, so even the most from for Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I see all of that. Like I've, you know, I've witnessed that in people who are just like, well, this is more complex than I thought it was. Yeah, well, and it requires a lot of intellectual honesty mm-hmm. and humility to say, oh wait, this was actually formed within the within the milieu of history mm-hmm. as well. Do you think that like churches need to be willing to bridge into that more? I do. However, I think you better pastors to do that better be really, really ready for the backlash mm-hmm. because it is woven into the culture of American evangelicalism that you that you just that you just receive this lock, stock, and barrel as the downloaded message from God mm-hmm. rather than it's what it what it actually is, which, which is the kind of like the history of faith within context and letter writing and narratives and yep. poetry and gospel writing and all of that. And I think that there is a very, very small threshold of acceptance for the non-spiritual download mm-hmm. explanation for the authority of the scripture yeah. than there is for like the scripture is authoritative because the th- the church has agreed that it's been authoritative from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That's a lot less palatable for most people who simply want the answer that God said it. That's it, right? Because it it is a lot. It it requires that we think. Mm-hmm. It requires that we operate in an environment that is not like black and white mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And I just don't think that most I don't think that most modern Christians have the stomach for it. I think we're spiritually lazy and fairly spiritually immature. Yeah. And so what we do, what we have doesn't really um stand up to much scrutiny. Yeah. Which I, is why people which is another reason why in all of life people uh, people just search for confirmation bias. Yeah, yeah. And in the moment that somebody begins to wonder, they encounter some, like, stick with the divorce example. Mm-hmm. They encounter life circumstance where they're in a a unhealthy relationship, unhealthy marriage relationship. The church seems to be saying, "You should not. You should just stay there. Um, we're not really going to." do anything substantial to your partner. We're just going to encourage you to stay in it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then in that circumstance, they begin to look, heck, on Google, mm -hmm. social media, and they encounter like, hey, there's a, that passage, there's maybe a different way to understand it than you've heard before. Mm -hmm. And it becomes the release valve for them to like move forward from the place that they're stuck in. Mm -hmm. uh, sounds really natural that that would create like a cascading effect. Yep. And then you get back to the, I understand why people leave the church. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's where, that's kind of like, if you. <laughs> we don't want people to leave the church. I don't. Yeah. No. Um, I do believe Christianity to be true and faithful. Mm -hmm. And, um, and um, I don't, I, I do believe that the Bible has authority. Um. Uh, I just don't maybe think it or believe it in the same way that a lot of evangelicalism ha believes it, which is maybe an unfair statement because it's not very clear. But um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like who, <laughs> right? Who, right? Yeah, like, it's defining an evangelical is so hard. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So. so, but maybe let that be the let that be the foreword to the book. The coming book of that'll probably I don't know when it'll if it'll get written when it'll get written but in the uh, month of November Cameron that's oh when it's going to get written yeah, come on <laughs> got nothing else going on then so <laughs> might as well do it um but uh, yeah it's um I think it's a valuable topic I think it's an important topic I think we would be foolish to ignore it as mm -hmm. Christians yeah and as pastors well particularly since I think I think more and more people have loved ones. Mm -hmm. who have stepped away from the church and whether they're calling it deconstruction or not, that's kind of what's happening yep. in a lot of spaces. And so how do we even, how do we begin to strike up a conversation with them that isn't just immediately stalled out because of, mm -hmm. you know, conclusions and un unwillingness to hear. Yep. Yep. Right. So uh, that's that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Um, uh, as always, uh, feel free to like it or unlike it, not like it. You I don't can know. Dislike it. You can dislike it if you want. Um, uh, no such thing as negative press. <laughs> I, I don't really mean that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, comment on it if you have any questions or things you'd like to talk about. Um, share it in any uh, environment that you feel like you should. Subscribe, send it to your friends. We'd love for you to interact with it. We, ha we do have a texting line yep. that you can text us, 716-201-0507. You can text us your questions, your comments, whatever to that. It's completely anonymous. It's not our personal phones. So yep. um, we'd love to be able to interact with you in that way as well. And um, stick around for next week's episode. Yep. We'll see you then. Thanks.